Hello and welcome to Pedagodzilla, the pedagogic podcast with the pop culture core. Today we will be answering the bloody stupid question, how can the Rizza, the Jizza, old dirty bastard, Inspector Deck, Raekwon the Chef, <laughs> Raekwon the Chef, Raekwon the Chef, <laughs> you've got Ghostface Killer and Method Man form our online collaborative learning experiences. And for those of you not in the know, that is of course the Wu-Tang Clan. I'm Mike Collins. Uh, I'm a learning designer with the Open University. I'm uh, imposter syndrome incarnate and a man with a microphone. And I'm joined this evening by... Uh, I'm Mark Childs and I've got, I suppose, my claim to fame is a PhD in education and very know very little about the Wu-Tang Clan. I'd say I'm closer in age to hip-hop than hip-hop. That's my oh, one joke. That is, that's awful. That's, that's I, mean, actually, I say that's awful. That's, that's, I like that. You're going to leave that I, in? Yeah, I really like it. Yeah, I yeah, really, really like that. Okay, let's move on to our special guest. We are indeed joined by a special guest, and it's somebody who knows how to pronounce all the members of the Wu-Tang Clan correctly. Oh, Wu-Tang Can. Oh, goodness gracious me. The Wu-Tang <laughs> Clan correctly. It's... I'm Terry Green. Thanks for having Yay. me. I'm excited to do this. Uh, long-time listener. Big fan of Pedagodzilla. Um, uh, I am a senior e-learning designer at Trent University in Peterborough, Ontario, Canada. And uh, I have my own podcast as well called Get in Air. It's the open pedagogy podcast where I um, I just like to connect with people in, doing open education, technology-enabled learning stuff and and get them some airtime to to share what they've been up to and had you two on before, which was great. It's been a which while. Uh, so awesome to have you on, and um, it's a great way for me to connect with people and hopefully, you know, spread the gospel of of open education and stuff like that throughout. Uh, you know, whoever listens, the tens and tens of listeners that, that tune in. <laughs> don't, don't want to uh, to let Terry undersell it because it's really a powerhouse podcast. He's had so like the biggest names <clears throat> from around the world in kind of uh, education on that show, uh, including the incredibly elusive Martin Weller, who um, I know that my team have been trying to, uh, uh, to to snag on Twitter for ages. And then Terry's just like, hey, Martin, do you want to do a cheeky episode with me? So uh, so yeah, kudos on that. You you caught the unicorn. I did, yeah. I, I sent him some stickers too. Maybe send him some stickers. Oh my God. We need, we need stickers, Mark. Yeah, well, that's what we should do. We should get a t-shirt. Oh, yes. <laughs> I have all that oh, set up. I can ch- tell you where to go to to s- get those. Oh, that's okay. Let's do that at the end then, because I want to let's let's plug your merch um, at the end. That sounds really good. Terry, would you please um, repeat our question for us? Sure. The question today is: How can the Rizza, the Jizza, old dirty bastard, Inspector Deck, Raekwon the Chef, you got Ghostface Killer, and the Method Man uh, inform our understanding of online collaborative learning? I see. It sounds much better when Terry yeah. does it. It sounded much worse when I did it. <laughs> it, it. It just does it with such with such confidence. I feel a whereas, plum. <laughs> yeah, whereas I, I do it in a kind of how do the rizzle the rizzle <laughs> kind of really really tapping into the RP accent for it. Anyway, let's tackle this uh, slightly this slight mouthful of a question in the first part of the show where we'll break it down. Part one, the question. Okay, so first of all, rather than saying the Riz of the Jizz are old dirty bastard, I'm just going to say Wu Tang Clan. Good idea. Wu Tang Clan. Who are they? I mean, I mean, I know absolutely nothing about it. This this is why I came up with a trivia question just so I'd have something to say at some point. So can I do that now? <laughs> yes. Okay, you can cut it out if it's boring. But 
okay, there is a heavy metal band and a hip-hop group that have the same four titles for their first four albums. What are the names of the groups and what are the titles of the first four albums? And the answer will be at the end of the podcast. Oh, man, I'm excited now. I'm on a rush towards the end just to find out the uh, <laughs> listeners. See, I've had some inputs, but now, yes, Terry, who are the Wu-Tang Clan? Tell us all about them. So the Wu-Tang Clan are uh, is a large group of rappers, hip-hop, a hip-hop group, a collective, and came around their first album, 93 or so, which means you're looking at, like, hip-hop had been around for, like, 20 years or so by then, so long enough that these guys grew up in it and loving it and wanting to do it. They're from Staten Island, the, you know, the afterthought borough of New York. Um, (laughs) So at the time, hip hop was a lot of, there's groups like Public Enemy, Beastie Boys, but um, most often it's like a rapper and a producer, like Eric B and Rakeem, um, Gangstar is just the uh, producer and the rapper. And so the idea that you'd have a group with nine, nine MCs was like insane, crazy. Hmm. However, they're, you know, they're from this, they're not from Brooklyn, which is the cool place to be from. They're not famous yet. So, and they, but they were all, you know, doing like rap battles and stuff all through, you know, as they grew up. So they were all like very skilled MCs. And so, a couple of the main central character is the RZA and he, he had a bit of a solo career, a solo album, same with his cousin, the Jizza, but they didn't go anywhere, but they knew they were kind of onto something. And so 91, 92 RZA says, look, let's, let's do this. I have a plan. I'll be the kind of driving force and all eight of you are going to um, stick to this five-year plan. And the plan is we create the Wu-Tang Clan. I will produce all the music. You guys will spit your raps on uh, various songs. And you're with me for five years. And that will start with our album. And then we'll make each of you a solo album. And then we'll come back together with another Wu-Tang album. And by the end of that five-year plan, we'll be number one. We'll be in the stratosphere. And the other kind of genius thing was they said uh, they signed a deal for the Wu-Tang album with the caveat that each of them could then sign individual solo deals with with other uh, music labels. So they could make Wu-Tang, but they could all play on each other's uh, albums and RZA would produce them through the years until they get to their the next Wu-Tang, the, the second Wu-Tang album five years later. And so they, they did that and... So the Enter the Wu-Tang, the first album, was like a nuclear bomb uh, on hip-hop that was like the the visual appeal, the mythology of the, the, like there's a lot of kung fu mythology through their, Mm. uh, all their work. Uh, They all grew up uh, watching kung fu flicks on TV and at these these like dirty old movie theaters in Times Square or something. And uh, so you hear clips from old kung fu movies in, in, in most of their songs and and then they have this great visual appeal with their their logo and stuff. And then these nine very different rappers with different styles all kind of competing for the mic and for the lead on songs and, and, and stuff. And it obviously worked. Like we're here 30 years later talking about it. 
in relation to online learning for, because they're this huge dynasty. And yeah, that first album was huge. And then like four of the uh, single solo albums like went platinum are, are thought of as hip hop classics. Their follow-up Wu-Tang album in 97, also a classic. And, and they're still going. There's a TV show about them now. There's there's a TV show? Yeah, there's the, the Wu-Tang, An American Saga or something. It's on Hulu. I have not watched it yet, but I definitely want to. And, you know, like uh, RZA went on to to kind of, what's the word? When you uh, apprentice from Quentin Tarantino on making movies, and then he made The Men with the Iron Fists. And, and he did the music on Kill Bill as well. Oh, seriously? Um, yeah. Because that's an incredible soundtrack on that movie. Yeah. Yes, you're right. And yeah, so RZA is an absolute like pr- music production genius that was central to to like what 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 he sampled and and the beats he created and also he gets on the on the mic and raps as well but but it's just like incredible that all these guys from staten island they're not all from staten island but that's what their home base is which they with their kung fu um mythology made it known as shaolin because these kung fu movies was like the wu-tang and the shaolin and so you know lots of people just refer to Staten Island as Shaolin now. There was a movie, The King of Staten Island, with Pete Davidson from a couple years ago. And he's all tatted up and he's got Shaolin tattooed across his chest. So they've just been like, they're just completely ingrained in the, the culture. And it's just been like a brilliantly successful plan from the start way back then. That's amazing. I mean, I... The, I always find that the hallmark of the the big successful hip hop bands from around that era are less well, not not less the music. I mean, the music's fantastic. It's eclectic. It's 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 angry in in some wonderful ways, but it's really playful and fun in a kind of really rough way. Um, but also that it's just it seems to be the hallmark seems to always be that it's it's business decisions. It's smart business decisions, yeah. and it's people who are they're a musician, but they're also an excellent music producer. They're a musician, but they're also a really savvy investor. Thinking of like you know, Def Jam records, um, mm-hmm. the way that it's, I'd, I'd say more so than any other genre, it's so beautifully sort of entrepreneurial and self-contained, oh, yeah. and, and really sort of pulls itself up by pulls itself up by its bootstraps. And I was listening to um, a load of Wu Tang last week. I was just like, this is wonderful because in a lot of ways, it's it feels like a group of friends fooling around mm-hmm. drunkenly outside the back of a club um, <laughs> on like a Saturday night. But it's just it's just yeah, so so excellent. I think um, I got bizarrely hooked on method man that's oh, yeah. really sad when i was playing because he had a load of tracks on dj hero on the ps2 and i absolutely adored that game and i was just i'd listen to it while i listened to the soundtrack while i was driving i'd play it when i got home um <laughs> i thought it was absolutely fantastic yeah and also also my only other wu-tang well not only other but my other main wu-tang collection is weirdly they um they, they made some really weird merch um yeah. and the weirdest bit of merch was that they made a playstation one controller that everybody seemed to own. I don't know if this was just a UK thing. But That's it was a, awesome. It was a PlayStation never... One controller in the shape of their logo, which made yeah. it oh, very uncomfortable to hold. Um, <laughs> it was it was like it was really thick as well. It was very like had a really enormous buttons as well. So it was uncomfortable to hold, terrible to play. It mashed your thumbs to bits. But it was very cheap. And like myself and like half the people I knew with PlayStation Ones had this Wu Tang controller. Some of them never even heard of the Wu Tang Clan. They was like, oh, controller for seven pounds. Yeah, brilliant. It was, uh, yeah, it. It was surreal. <laughs> I, one of the interviews I watched, they were saying that strangely when they went to Europe, um, that you'd see kids with jean jackets and stuff with patches, and it'd be like Anthrax, Metallica, uh, and the Wu Tang was on like 
three quarters of them in this weird mix of, uh, you know, people like things that would be on patches on Jean Jack. Mm. They were cool. They were just so cool. I mean, I, I think I was a little bit too young when they were kind of uh, really breaking ground. But yeah, I was even I was aware of them as a, as a whelp nosed teenager, whatever it is. So how much do you think the Staten Island thing fed into that? Because uh, have you been to Staten Island? No, I, yeah, like they make fun of it when you go on yeah. the tour, right? They're like, oh, and that's the free bo- uh, boat ride uh, out. But the problem is it takes you to Staten Island. Yeah. When they're talking the about the ferry. <laughs> that's the only reason you do it as a tourist is because you get a really good look at the Statue of Liberty as you go past. And I think, yeah, it's free or it's really cheap to get there. But then you're stuck on Staten Island for an hour before the ferry goes back. And, I mean, talk about the desert of the real. <laughs> it's it's suburban and it's flat. And we found, like, I went there with a friend and we found, like, a secondhand clothing store and a comic shop. And that was about it, really. It's, it's a cultural, I wouldn't say wasteland, that's not fair, but it's not the sort of place, it's not, you know, it's not Brooklyn. It's not, it's not the sort of yeah. place where you expect a hip-hop group to come from. So is, was it an escape from that or a, this, like, nerd thing? I mean, the, the whole... Shaolin obsession is kind of like a nerd thing in a way is yeah. and yet that goes against the hip-hop image do you think that's what's made them kind of stand out from that a bit well i think um like hip-hop itself was an escape they were all like like not all but like so many youth living in like they're all from these the park hill projects and all these um places that's why they're so close they and they know each other because they're in these you know apartment blocks that are just packed with you know they're they're outside having little ciphers and and stuff a lot probably but yeah they thought of you know being a like a, a rapper as an a way to escape for sure yeah so that's the Wu-Tang Clan so the second part of our question is about online collaborative learning or online collaborative learning experiences I should say so I think we've talked about online collaborative learning quite a bit over the course of the podcast but do we, do we just want to kind of think about some of the characteristics, what we what would we call online collaborative learning? I think it's funny that this is probably the first time in history that I got through to online collaborative learning theory through the um, Teaching in a Digital Age, Tony Bates's uh, open textbook. So I, I think Tony Brilliant. Bates and Wu-Tang coming together uh, is a, a rarity. <laughs> And but it's not his uh, theory, but he, you know he includes it in his textbook. It's you know great textbook. You should check it out. It's free. It's open. But he uh, he mentions uh, this um, model from Linda Harrison, and it's uh, is that Linda Harrison out of Terminator? Oh no, that's Linda Hamilton. Sorry. Yeah. Oh, too bad. I wish. <laughs> <laughs> I think she's Canadian. I think, or she's from U of T originally. But the model says. It basically puts the teacher kind of not at like the, you know, often in it's, it's related to constructivism, uh, but more teacher, it's not teacher centered, but the teacher plays more of a main uh, role being a a moderator in these um, collaborative projects and work. And basically it's, yeah, online, a, a constructivist approach online and it puts these groups of, learners into space together to do three three levels of things idea generating idea organizing and then intellectual convergence and all along the teacher is central to facilitating that 
idea generation, idea organizing, and convergence. So idea generating, is that um, so we're thinking sort of the classic constructivist kind of group discussion group coming up, uh, discussing to generate ideas around a subject or to discuss their ideas or thoughts around a subject? Yeah. Um, brainstorming, really. Yeah. 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 Which I think, is, is, is brainstorming a taboo term still? I'm not sure. It, it was? It, it was. It went taboo for a little while, I think. Oh, do you have to beep that out? I don't know, uh, Mark, <laughs> Mark. I'm hoping you can. Uh, I hope you're hoping you can. Uh, um, it's this. Me. It's what they call a euphemism treadmill, isn't it? Is like every. Uh, so you got. You have to stay ahead of the game. You've got to come up with um, some term that isn't that's out of favour. So you can come it's up just with your been own. used for too long. Well, it's. I mean, brainstorm. It was like people said. Oh, it's like um, an epilepsy. It's like it's, it's oh, offensive okay. to people that have. And it's like no. It's it's a metaphor. Do you know what I mean? It's like. You're trying too hard to get outraged if you're going to have a problem with the word. Yeah, like I think I think the only reason that's in my mind is because I, I said brainstorm in a meeting once, and um, somebody at the front looked shocked. Like, yeah, yeah. The, yeah. Like, I really like. Can't believe you said that. They work extra hard at being outraged by things, yeah. though, don't they? Anyway, sorry. So, um, <laughs> and then idea organization. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Idea coherence. So yeah. basically, there's brain not storming brain think the first and then uh, well, it's uh, I, the phrase i heard recently was mind fart it's like you just see you just sit in the bath and see when the perfect bubble arises <laughs> so the idea of generating is like mind farting uh, <laughs> just farting your mind thoughts out to and no judging them uh-huh. and then organizing is to um start to judge the what's come out of the mind farts mm-hmm. and categorizing them and analyzing them. And then the thirds would be convergence where you might agree to disagree on things or at least choose choose the ideas that uh, and the categories that they came into and, and to move forward with into whatever the project is. Hmm. That's really interesting because I was looking at, I'd not thought, I didn't realize that that went back that far, those three stages, because I was looking at something, um, they were talking about ideation platforms, and I should remember the guy's name, and we'll put it in the show notes because it's gone, but he was working at Imperial College, and he was getting people to sort of work together in groups, and actually the platform he used went through those three stages. So the, oh, basically cool. the first one was everybody just threw in ideas, and it was what was also cool was that you could actually grade people by how much um how much had contributed at that stage and then you moved the platform moved on this right okay there's a win- there's a window for generating the ideas now let's go into let's organize them and come up with some sort of taxonomy or organization and let's do that as a collaborative exercise and that was the second stage and then it went into well here's the coherent thing this is where we bring them all together into single report tended to be fewer people at that stage because you can't have too many people bringing ideas together. It has to be one person or a few people because they need a vision to how it's all going to fit together, basically, I think. And then and then that was it. And then they produced, I can't remember what the document was, but they generated this huge uh, sort of in-depth document. Uh, they opened it up. It wasn't just Imperial College students. Anybody could take part in it. But by going through those three very clear processes at very structured stages, and then there's a platform the OU uses for collaborative online work, and that's adopted a very similar model in that everybody chucks stuff in, then they move on to the next stage uh, where they're sort of converging the ideas, and then you end up with the final stage, which is coherence, where you're creating that final product. And so kind of the platforms now match that, but 
hadn't realized it went all the way back to Tony Bates because that was that book's from the mid two thousands, isn't it, or something? It's 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 fifteen years on now, or something like that, isn't it? Teaching in a digital age, yeah. There yeah. is a, a volume two from a year or two ago, but it's okay. it's this it's mostly similar stuff, just a little updated. I think not not quite that old though. The original, maybe ten years. Yeah. But I think the, you do um, need that sort of fat. You need some sort of structure to move it on in that way. Otherwise, you never move past that initial stage, really. It reminds me a lot of liberating structures. Have you worked with those much? Nope. I've not even heard of liberating structures. Uh, Tell us all. They're pretty. They're really great, actually. Like they've just got there's a list of twenty, twenty five things. It's like here's here's the stru- the structure, simple structure. It's kind of like structured structurelessness. Um, uh, do this, do this, do this to to come to this product. Like uh, one is as simple as called what, so what, now what. Mm-hmm. It kind of matches this really. So what stage is, what are we talking about? What are our ideas? What is this? What is that? What is the other? So what is like, so what, what, like, what does that mean? What's good about this? What's, uh, what are the, this is actually like literally the same thing almost. <laughs> and then now what is what, now that we know what and so what, what do we do with it? Yeah. And the, just that simple structure puts you in a place to uh, focus on things. There's another great one called, it's called TRIZ, which is like a Russian acronym, acronym, but it's, um, it's basically creative destruction. Like you, you try, you talk about how you can do what you want to do in the absolute worst possible way. So you could start, uh, I had, I'm teaching a course just called facilitating online learning, and we want them to build these welcome modules as a project. Well, welcome to whatever course you want to build. And at the start, we did that activity. We said, let's, uh, let's brainstorm ideas or sorry, mind fart ideas <laughs> for how to do this in the absolute worst possible way. And then you just come up with these ideas, like, you know, increase the surveillance to maximum degrees and never tell them your name, like all these ideas. And then, <laughs> and then you see, you go through the list and you're like, Oh shit, is anything I'm doing here? Actually what I do mm-hmm. you make sure not to do that. And Oh, Hey, are these things, that came up things that we could flip into a positive. And so that structure puts you in a position to a simple structure puts you in a position to, to move forward on things. It's that's really, yeah, there's, there's lots of them. Um, and you can mix and match them. Like you could, you could have a whole career just using liberating structures. I think I just, I love, I love how it's, it's essentially, it's a more accessible reskin. I think that's what I really like. It's, um, yeah, I, I've really, really enjoyed that. It's actually, um, so we do, um, what we did facilitation, for things that sort of design challenges and the idea is that it's about working out what the design challenges are for the module and interestingly we actually go through all those steps when we're doing that so it starts off with people generating um what they you know the team kind of in small groups or individually generating those ideas and this is i guess the distinction because we used to do this so yeah uh, generating ideas um in small groups or individually and then coming back together bringing those ideas together and then starting to group those ideas so going okay so let's start categorizing these let's work out which of these ideas kind of naturally live next to each other and then going, okay, so what's, you know, if we had to give a title to this group of ideas, what's it called? And then finally, you know, where do we go from here? What does this tell us? What should we do with this? So kind of the, uh, the interpretive step. For, there's an interesting distinction, which maybe we'll get to later, which I found the difference between doing this online and doing it in person. Because <clears throat> we used to do it uh, in person. It was generally with a, a room full of people. 
and people are on tables so you could do it kind of break out groups on tables get people to shuffle around oh. there was tea there was biscuits <laughs> no actually um, on the tables sorry <laughs> it's like whoa that's exciting <laughs> but you know it was um, something okay <laughs> but it was very dynamic and you'd have a person at the front and uh, kind of a big board and lots of post-it notes and you'd be running around kind of getting things up and people would be writing things and slapping things on the wall and it would be quite sort of um, quite active and quite dynamic I found that doing it online is significantly harder and requires yeah. much, much more facilitation and works with works better with smaller groups. So I found that like I could run anyway, a large in-person one of these activities, you know, with up to 20 people quite um, manageably. But if anything, my kind of my maximum group size for this online is probably about five people, five to six mm-hmm. people in, in order to kind of actually get meaningful kind of work out of everybody and to give everybody space to, to engage because otherwise if i find when you get more people than that you get silent you get people who are kind of terrified of contributing mm-hmm. into the auditorium of the silent uh of their uh, invisible peers um so yeah sorry i just I, i'm kind of no down a- i think that's that's i, I was going to come on to that as well because i think um yeah all of these are great collaborative techniques and where where does the online collaboration come in and i think yeah it's size one of the things as well that happens is that if people are disengaging or not happy with the process, I, I did a workshop and like four times as many, this is in person, four times as many people came along than I was expecting. Somebody just invited too many people and that just fell apart. It was, an, it was like 40 or 50 people in the room and you just cannot engage all the people that way. So there is a maximum to in-person sizes, which is, I think you're right, it's about 20, 18 or 20 people. But then you can, if somebody's disengaged or if they're not, they're dissatisfied with what you're doing, you can pick up on that. Whereas in a, an online environment, you're pretty much led by the one or two most vocal people because if somebody is disengaged and they're not using the chat as a function to go, you know, this isn't what I want to do, then um, you've got no way of telling that you're, what you're, you're pitching is falling flat, really. So, so yeah, there are inevitably tricky things and i think the platforms don't necessarily help either in that you know that thing about here's one stage where you're brainstorming mind farting so here we got that's pretty easy to do you create a lot of cards you stick and then you stick them on the wall and then the next stage is you start to move them around and that's fine but when you're trying to do that online you've got you know i mean there's some really good things like myro or trello whatever but you're constantly cutting and pasting or moving it from one space to another it doesn't flow as easily, I think, particularly if you've got a large number of people. So I think there are intrinsically, with those sort of live things, and we're only speaking about live ones now, intrinsically some integral issues with trying to do that kind of synchronous collaborative stuff online. Um, yeah, the, the, the model that uh, Harrison and what Tony Bates was writing about was... Suggesting use of discussion forums centrally in all this, um, which is not going to be super fun for most people, I think. Uh, like, yeah, what else are you going to use? Live, like a synchronous thing, breakout rooms. But but then you lose in this model, like the teacher is meant to be central mm-hmm. and facilitating. So as soon as you send out to breakout rooms, you're only uh, able to join one and um, follow through on on. on you know, properly facilitating. Hello, editing Mike here. So you may have noticed that Terry has been joined by a very cute, very well-behaved a little co-guest. It's his little girl, Hattie. Uh, if you do hear Mark and myself a snigger at any point, it's because she's done something adorable over the webcam. Anyway, back to the show. 
And you lose the dynamic as well. I think, you know, when, when you're in a room, it's easy to keep people moving and motivated. And there's a certain energy that that you need in order to get people to think in that kind of way. And I think when, you know, when, uh, when you're moving to breakout groups, there's just that gap where people move. And uh, yeah, so I think synchronously, it's trickier. But then, of course, the stuff you were talking about was asynchronous and about how asynchronous kind of collaboration can work. But even I think the strictures there are less because everybody's got time to do things. They've got time to think or whatever. But even then, I think there are additional issues that arise when you're doing stuff online and when you're doing it offline. And I think that's that's kind of something that's particularly interesting is what are those additional things that get in the way, really? And, and is there other ways around them? Yes, I mean Terry. Based, yeah, as I say, yeah. So based on your experience, because I mean, obviously, you're you're teaching this. Yeah. So what what are what are the challenges and what are the advantages? How is how how does this work better as asynchronous, or how does this work as asynchronous? Yeah, because just to back up, I mean, think because I think we've been talking about collaborative up to now, but it was mm-hmm. like what are the extra layer of complexity, or as Mike just said, that compared to yeah, like my course wouldn't exist if it wasn't online because uh, the students are. Uh, the the college is in Ontario. All students are from, every single one are from India. They are coming to Canada. So throughout this whole course, they are either one week they could be at home in India, the next they could have come to Canada. Um, so like, can't this can't happen? And it's you know it's a ten hour drive away from me. Like I wouldn't be able to teach this in person even if they were there. So like obviously the uh, affordances of online education have just made this possible in the first place. Uh, but if if I could be in person, it would be, which is funny because it's about facilitating online learning. But it literally would be easier to have breakout groups and point out differences between what people are doing and oh hey this group has a great idea. Like you can't be like send to breakout rooms. Send, bring everyone back to the room. Say, "Oh, this person had a great idea," and then go back to breakout rooms. <laughs> <laughs> so, like, you know, that was a good song, buddy. <laughs> do we do um, we have copyright clearance? Sorry, do we have copyright yeah. clearance somewhere? Yeah, I think we're okay. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> I, guess, I think it's really interesting that you talk. So I think this is, I mean, we've talked about online learning a lot um, over the course of the um, uh, the podcast, all of, the, all of the, the podcast episodes we've had. I think you've really actually hit the nail on the head with one of the big things with it is that online just massively enhances how accessible your teaching is. Like it, it opens it up. It makes it so much more. It gives you the ability to open it up and include so many more people than you otherwise would in a face-to-face environment because that's inherently restricting it's based on you know who can get to you who can afford it that kind of thing whereas doing it online allows you to have more people in and then you take some of the restrictions that online imposes with regards to interpersonal engagement discussion and collaboration i think is kind of like part exchange for that because you wouldn't necessarily be able to have the same conversations face to face at all because the people might not be able to engage might not be able to participate yeah like one of the things that this program has mentioned was um, like it's it's the college is in a, a smaller kind of more isolated city in Ontario and uh, they they didn't have as much expertise in teaching online learning as the world does obviously and like when they were forced to go online they were now able to grab a teacher from from anywhere and and um, 
a couple other uh, people I, I've worked with in the past. I've helped them grab a, a, a contract teaching there too. And, and now this program has this like really great kind of faculty that if this was in person, it wouldn't, wouldn't be, we wouldn't be able to do it because we just live too far away. So even if, <laughs> even if, even though there might be some, what's the opposite of affordances, um, you know, some barriers. limitations, yeah. some limitations and barriers mm -hmm. of online learning in the sense of the, you know, the social presence and all that kind of stuff. It's, it's made other things more possible that are, you know, worth, worth it for sure biggest difference I've seen between online and offline collaboration is on the whole when it's working both of them work fine and yeah. I don't think there's a huge difference between how effective they are you just learn how to work around the barriers and you do that because you want to and you're, you're collaborators where there's the biggest difference is when it breaks down and I think if you're in a an in-person in environment and your trust, trust step breaks down people haven't done the work they're supposed to whatever you can kind of take them for a coffee or you can catch them in the corridor or whatever and just have a chilled out time with them and gradually try and reestablish some of that sense of camaraderie or whatever. Whereas online, if it breaks down, you've got very few avenues to actually try and address some of those issues. You can't just naturally bump into them. And if you are, if you sort of bombard them with emails or tweets, that just puts them off. And it's that's the th I think that's where the difference really stands out from what I've seen is, you know, is is that recapturing that trust when it all falls apart? And I think that's where online is perhaps weaker than offline, and, and maybe only that, that particularly. I'm pretty sure the like the ultimate collaborative project would involve a bit of both, right? Like we are able to meet in person in this meeting room, like that community show where they always have the same room booked, at, but. <laughs> Also, let's have, you know, shared documents yeah. and group chats and, uh, you know, a, a Microsoft team. <laughs> Just kidding. You wouldn't want that. Like, <laughs> yeah, know, the best of group chats or something. Yeah. 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 I, I mean, this podcast is a great example because, you know, Mark and I used to record in a room together, but we've been recording episodes fine via Zencast via the internet. In some ways, it's, it's easier because there's always that awkward moment when the knees touch and you go, oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, awkward for you, maybe. <laughs> I was the one making the touch. <laughs> so, well, was that time it caught fire? Remember the time that the building was cut? Oh, yeah, that was weird. Yeah. Um, so we don't have those sorts of problems. Yeah, less likely that both of the buildings you're in start on fire you know, yeah. when you're separate. <laughs> or talking of mind farts, you know, you're really having to hold them in for the entire two hours. That can be tricky. <laughs> <laughs> Very true. I've forgotten been... how to do that. Oh, me too. Good God. Like, genuinely, my, uh, yeah, the, the release valve on my bowels now may as well not exist working at home. It's absolutely terrible. Poor, my poor wife, who works behind me in our living room. Um, yeah, it's bleached her hair. <laughs> um, okay, so um, I think we've uh, thoroughly explored both the Wu-Tang Clan and uh, online collaborative learning. Let's take that forward into the next part of the show, where we answer our question. How, um, how do, does the RZA... <laughs> the GZA, old dirty bastard, Inspector Deck, Raekwon the Chef, You God, Ghostface Killer, and the Method Man inform our online collaborative learning experience. And insert spike here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's like too white, too old. <laughs> 
part two. The answer. So yeah, over to you, Terry. How? Well, there's this uh, image that I'll hold up to the camera here, but it doesn't help in a podcast, that it's like the model from Harrison's uh, Pedagogy of Group Discussion. And let me just describe it. Uh, there are the three areas we mentioned before. There's a group of students sitting around a circle. There's idea generating. And then over to the right, idea organizing. They're, they're putting out their ideas, and now they're putting them into categories and stuff. Idea intellectual convergence, uh, where they're kind of mashing the ideas in, together into, into creating something to produce for this group experience. All the while, there's the teacher joining in to moderate and facilitate and give uh, feedback and in, in their experience um, in order to produce uh, something. For me, <laughs> this totally could just be like the, the product process of creating a, a, a Wu-Tang song. You've got the, the teacher moderator being the RZA. So he could be like, so what their most probably most famous song is called Cream. And it's mm. an acronym, Cash Rules Everything Around Me. Get the money, dollar dollar bill, y'all. So say he says, I got this hook. This, this song's called Cream, Cash Rules Everything Around Me. And you eight other MCs, what do you, what do, you do with that? And so they, they sit around and idea generate the, or they go sit on their own and, and write a verse and then come back. So, so basically, like, let's share our ideas for what, what I might like, because they each kind of, they tell stories about their lives and their verses and stuff. The first one's kind of about move into Shaolin land from Brooklyn because the moms left uh, the dad and they need to go. And so idea generating would be write your verse, share your verse. And then idea organizing could be more like which ones fit best because it's not all members in all songs. Like they're not like nine verses is probably too long of a hip hop song. So maybe there's four <laughs> or five. So not every person gets in on every song. So basically the organizing would be like, that's a great one, but what about this idea? Uh, and they probably help each other think of rhymes and stuff. Um, and then the convergence could be, you know, putting it together. Your verse is first, Method Man, and then and then over to Ghostface and I'll do the the hook. And um, so you got the RZA providing the beat and the hook. And so they know the sound that they'll have to the rap over, like literally every Wu-Tang song you could probably see it, the creation of it in in this model. So, um, it's not online, though, I don't think. So I think they probably do this face-to-face. -face. Maybe nowadays they... I think Actually, you know what? If you There's some videos from what the gorillas have been doing lately in the, in the, um, in the pandemic. It's all just fully online collaborative experience. Like, they, they, they don't even come together. They, but, and they're pretty similar because Damon Albarn is so central to that. He'd be like the RZA, but bringing in collaboration from, from all over. Mm. Um, and there is some connection between the two, I think. Can I, is there, is the final stage there as well. So, so I could see if somebody having a plan, people going off, creating their ideas, you could sort of then stick them together as a series of verses, but then is there a, a part of that afterwards where, you need to make it slightly more coherent so that, I don't know, there's a flow between them or if something doesn't fit because once you stick it next to something else, there's a way you could adapt it to make it fit better. Is there a, is there a stage at that level that kind of equates as well? If you see what I mean? Yeah, I think so, yeah. It could be, 
like I, I would think in somewhere in there is like, you know, you go back to your verse and revise and shorten it or, or add ideas to, yeah you know, maybe sync it to the next story, you know, or something like that. I think and, the distinction I see actually in this, the application of this model for, for the, well, for Wu-Tang Clan for Gorillaz is that this is a really good description of kind of like the design of a song. So kind of the, the creation of a song, whereas maybe like the production, I think is a different thing. Cause I think there's productions where you kind of really start to, it starts to become a single unit. I think, you know, it's, 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 this is the, a brilliant way of, it's, it's ideas. It's an ideas based thing. And this is the, how you get the idea to the point where it's ready to produce. Mm-hmm. So I think that next step is probably production. And that's where it becomes a, a sort of a solid coherent thing. Gets the edges rubbed off it and everybody, you know, the order changes around or whatever. And everybody kind of pins down exactly how they want to do it and what they want to do. But this is for kind of like that initial ideation process of getting you to something to have a complete idea that you can produce. I think that for me is kind of the, um, the sort of the stage gate of this um, of this model. Does that does that sound accurate? Yeah. Oh, I think so. I, I mean, or Michael, a podcast. You know, we have the initial thing where a chicken idea is around and going with this pop cultural thing, that pedagogy theory, that's this and that, and then we and then we do the podcast, which is about the bit where you're uh, bringing all the ideas to it, and then there's your bit with the post production where it all becomes marginally more coherent so i guess we have those three things with this as well don't we yours yours are my normal process if it's the two of us working together for an episode it's exactly like that because we'll we'll ping pedagogies we are interested in off one another we'll ping we'll try and match up pop culture so that's kind of the idea generating the idea organizing is when we're kind of trying to match them up and work out how they might interact and then the intellectual convergence like okay so how are we what's the the story here how are we taking this into an episode mm-hmm. how are we bringing these two disparate things together does that make sense yeah but it's still not at that coherent that final stage at that point it only becomes that once the editing's done i think because at this stage we are still just throwing ideas into the pot really aren't we and seeing what sticks well (laughs) sorry things sticking to pots is the way i cook it's not the way everybody else cooks (laughs) (laughs) another thing i like to think about in in this model like back to thinking about how wu-tang would pull a song together is just the competitive they want to like you know they want to be stars they want to outshine each other not outshine but they want that you get to see each other's and hear each other's verse that you'd get the chance to go back and you know revise yours to to bring it harder or you know they all have these what's cool about wu-tang is just such a disparate bunch of uh, styles like a couple of them are a little more gangsta a couple of them are more like um rhythmical and like old dirty bastard is that's why they call him the old dirty bastard because there's no father to his style like he's so unique <laughs> like is just um so out there and and like he's singing half the time and and it's just really interesting so they like you, you'd get to see and hear these these styles forming through the this process and take it back to your own approach in order to you know you know, measure up or, um, you know, help the song become better and better before it, it becomes uh, complete. Yeah, because there's always something that happens in that conversation, isn't there? So I think that's <clears throat> that's where often you see students, you set them a task, a collaborative task, and they go, well, I'll do slide one and you do slide two and I'll do slide three, and then they all throw it together at the last minute. And it's like, yeah, but the brilliant stuff comes out of the conversation. One person says one thing and somebody else builds on it. And then there's maybe a conflict so that you have to resolve that issue. And that's where something more interesting comes out. And I think 
Yeah, too segmented. Okay, if it's not segmented enough, you never get anywhere. But there needs to be that stage where you are throwing the ideas in and they're gelling or they're not gelling and they're building on each other. And we have this thing, um, it's called narrative contracting. Uh, That's an improv where somebody says something, which is called an offer. And then there's three responses to that. One of them is a block, like, no. One of them is an accept, well, yeah. And then there's a counter offer, which is go, oh, yeah, so that sounds good. But also, what about this? And you build on it. And I think you don't get that counter-offering kind of, I don't know, that kind of melding of ideas unless you do have that final stage where people about a stage in which people are bouncing off each other. And, but they, even then you need a stage at the end where all that bouncing is condensed down into something coherent that makes sense to somebody else. I mean, if somebody listened to our raw recording ever, <laughs> it wouldn't sound oh, any God. good at all. Can you imagine? But, um, but you know, but by the time it's, but we need that wacky, this is, we don't know where we're going with this stage because otherwise it would just be flat really. And I guess you get the same with getting air as well. I, I think you edit a lot more than I do um, for sure. Um, I that's that's possibly because we bullshit more during the recording. Yeah, process. we do. <laughs> yeah, we say a lot of old nonsense. <laughs> is is there anything else we want to talk about with regards to answering our question? I just want to point out that uh, in this, in all of this, if you are a listener here, is an educator, you are you're the Riza, you're the Resurrector, you're the Abbot, and uh, that's your role. Um, if you if you would uh, make that comparison. I think that's uh, it's a fun way to think about it. Um, being the Terry is is selling name badges for you <laughs> all that on his website. Yeah, oh yeah. <laughs> we we should do that on our postgraduate training. You're the Rizzer. You're the Resurrector. Oh I yeah, love it. I absolutely love it. That's such a lovely idea. I just I really really like that. Please tell me you're going to make that one of your stickers. I think I should. <laughs> <laughs> okay, brilliant. In which case, with our question answered, I'll take us into the next part of the show. Part three, practical tips for your own teaching. Okay, so practical tips for people's own teaching and pedagogic practice. Okay, so I think with the collaboration, assuming it's entirely online, I I do agree with Terry that ideally you have a bit of both because there is something that happens when you're in the room that is difficult to capture online and vice versa, I would say. But I think what Terry's highlighted by having that structure is it's a structure that allows kind of non-conformity as well. So you've got stages where people go off and do their own thing. You've got a stage where you bring that together. You've got a stage where people are bouncing ideas around and trying to outdo each other. And then you've got a stage where you're bringing it all together in a kind of coherent fashion. And I think when you're designing online collaborative activities, you need to think about those stages. That's what I'd suggest, that you need to think about how much how much flexibility is going to be in there. So some scaffold will work. Some flexibility needs to happen in order, otherwise you're too locked down, you're too scripted. But it's some kind of balance in between, which depends on you as a resurrector, depends on your clan of your students. And it depends on, you know, what you're trying to achieve. But those are the things that I think you need to pay aware of when you are designing these online collaborative activities. I think I have a not that practical sort of impractical tip. Okay, Is that okay? Yeah. yeah. If anything, if it's super impractical, it might be even more fun. <laughs> <laughs> and kind of related to what I already said, but if you as an educator think of yourself as the like in hip hop 
the Rizzo was the producer. He made the beats. Um, he set the set the beats for what other people are going to do to shine. So if you think of yourself as the Rizza, the educator, um, the beat maker, in order to set the stage for your learners to be uh, at uh, at center stage and and spitting hot rhymes in front of everybody, I think that's like a kind of fun and energizing way to think of your role as educator. And it puts the students, it not in the center, but um, you know, it sets them up to be excited about producing something exciting. And um, it gives a, a good positive energy to the whole experience, I think. So it's kind of fun to think of yourself as the RZA of your class, I think, if you're an educator. I love that. And I guess my one is just, it's, I'm, I'm going to ring the metacognitive toolkit bell. Mm. Ding, 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 ding. We haven't heard a that in a while, Michael. Well, I said, yeah, I said, I'd, I'd, I'd lost the bell, fell down the back of the city. Um, the, yeah, I think so. This as a model for um, online collaborative learning is great, but it's also just a, generally a good uh, kind of group design model as well. And we see that it's worked for the Wu-Tang Clan. It can work for you as well. And learning how to actually apply and facilitate this model yourself. At first, perhaps just by going through it as a student, then perhaps also, you know, utilizing it as a teacher could be a really useful thing Um for not just kind of your creative pedagogic practice, but also any kind of creative group endeavor that you might be doing in your real life and in the real world. So yeah, I think it's a, it'd be a cool thing to to teach as well as to use. And if I could go to another letter, a layer of meta, if that's okay, meta meta, what we've just done here is an example of hip hop education, where we've been talking about something to do with curriculum, which in this case might be a teaching curriculum, and then looking at that through the lens of hip hop. So there's an article in Innovating Pedagogy 2021, the OU's thing, you know, that Rebecca used to be the editor of, where they actually talk about hip hop education. There's a website I've just seen called hiphoped.com. And it's something that Stanford and Michigan and places have experimented with, with trying to engage more learners by actually looking at how can we put curriculum into hip-hop and how can we bring hip-hop into the curriculum. So with various, I would think, levels of success, but that might be something we could look at maybe in another episode more fully is does hiphoped.com actually have the have the good shit? Oh, I think there's, yeah, there's, there's lots, lots of ways you could go with that. Like, because hip-hop itself, uh, is a good alignment to online learning because it's so technological with all this mm-hmm. sampling and use of all like it's it, it's innovating with technology constantly. Yeah. So um, there's a great alignment to to what Stamp, we could be yeah. doing in um, in online learning as well. And took over from rock as these the most popular genre in the US a few years back as well. So you're going to reach more people, I guess of school age oh, yeah. anyway because it's it's you know more popular with more people let's let's cover that in a future episode let's um yes let's. I mean, t- terry would you would you join us for future episodes maybe go through that maybe give it a a kicking or a, a celebration hell yeah well, fantastic um okay so terry terry where can people find you on the internet where people can find your podcast and what do you want to plug you can find me uh i the only social media i use really is twitter um green terry there's an e at the end of green and my website is called learningnuggets.ca where I blog a bit, not enough lately. Uh, but yeah, check out my my podcast uh, as a kind of central place where I share. Um, you, you see links to it on my Twitter. 
I there'll think. be in our episode notes as well. Yeah. And you guys uh, were asking about the merch. I don't like, I have a spot where you could buy the t-shirt. I will, it's a, it's a UK company called T-Mill. Hmm. And it's really uh, sustainable, really sustainable what work they do. Um, I end up with like, what, it's British, right? So I get it paid in pounds. Like I get one and a half pounds per $30 t-shirt. <laughs> 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 so I don't make any money. I, and this, like, I don't sell anything else. I have stickers that, um, you know, this, it's not a huge audience. So if people are interested in stickers, I can send you some stickers or keychains or something. So uh, anyone listening or interested in a, a thing or two, shoot me any, uh, tw- uh, get, find me on Twitter and, and let me know. Uh, it's uh, Brian Mather's work, his art. Uh, I don't know if you come across him much, but he does beautiful uh, art um, and, and often shares it with an open license. Um, Visual Thinkery is his uh, website. He's done the art for lots of great um, projects like um, Martin Weller's. Uh, uh, it's not his, but he does a lot of work with GoGN. Go um, he did a lot of their, their art. Um, Audrey Waters reclaim hosting uh all these things that have these great uh visual uh appeal uh, it came from from his his work i, rec- I recognize martin's avatar from this yes yes yeah. this makes so much sense yeah, yeah. Um, oh, i love the style yeah he's yeah brian mathers is i think he lives in london and he's just yeah the just wonderful beautiful work um and he did the i had him on getting there and he was kind enough to do up a the logo of uh, someone getting some airtime on their snowboard with the mic in their hand. That's pretty dope. Thanks very much for that, Terry. Thanks so much for joining us today. I guess it's time to wrap up the show. So thank you so much for listening. You can subscribe to us on all of your favorite apps, feeds, iTunes, and at our website, pedagodzilla.com. You can also follow us and get in touch via Twitter. I am at pedagodzilla. I'm at Mark Childs. I am at Green Terry. Uh, e-, e at the end of green so shove the one in the middle there we hope you enjoyed the episode and we'll see you next time on Pedagodzilla goodbye now okay but goodbye can I do the trivia answer oh yeah sugar the trivia <laughs> answer okay. insert record scratch <laughs> you say the question again first okay so there's a, a rock band heavy metal band and a hip hop group that have the same titles for their first four albums what are the groups what's the titles of the albums is there can you hint is there a hint yeah it's a really annoying kind of uh fake answer <laughs> Is is it like Led Zeppelin one two three four? And yes, there's... and is there still one two three four? Cypress Hill. <laughs> awesome. Uh, yeah, there you go. That was a good <laughs> pub quiz answer. Well done. <laughs> we love you lots, and we'll see you next time on the Internet Escape Room. No, that's the other podcast. We love you lots, and we'll see you next time on Pedagogzilla. Goodbye now. Bye. Bye. Bye.